This is Innovating a Bright Future. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Avery Kreibold, with Innovating a Bright Future, where I walk you through the innovative and revolutionary technology driving climate action and laying the foundation for a sustainable future. Today, I'm going to be talking to Lorenzo Rousseau from Anapter. We're going to investigate if we can take water and turn it into oxygen and usable fuel. This process is known as electrolysis. We're going to go through what electrolysis is, along with how we can use hydrogen. We're also going to look at what nanotechnology is, how small really is it, and how the green hydrogen industry can use it. I found this conversation fascinating, so I hope you do too. Please enjoy. Yeah, so you are currently working for a hydrogen kind of modular electrolysis company, right? But you've actually had a lot of experience in the field of nanotechnology, and you've worked on that field in um, actually quite a bit of health research and stuff like that. Is that right? Yes, um, I'm a chemist by education and then I had a PhD in, in nanotechnology and as you were saying I started uh, working and I had uh, some experience in health related uh, application of nanotechnology mainly uh, in vitro diagnostics and nanomedicine and I have to say and this is uh, really true that uh, my kind of dream my uh, inspiration was to move to energy but it was really difficult to find those kind of application for nanotechnology there were few especially uh, few enterprises or, or small companies that are working on that and lately in the last couple of years almost I was very lucky and I managed to found uh, my current company. Uh, we work, uh, actually, I can't say the name. I'm working at Enapter. Uh It's a company specializing uh, modular electrolyzers for distributed uh, hydrogen production. And yes, so I, I'm a chemist there, and I'm, I feel very lucky to have found this opportunity. Yeah, that is pretty new. The application of nanotechnologies in energy at all is relatively new that wasn't a thing really around before was it i think it was the way i see is that a lot of the chemistry that was uh, used in in energy and catalysis application was already nanotechnology uh, probably it was not called nanotechnology as it is intended right now but uh, this idea of using uh, different materials and controlling their shape and size to obtain nice properties, this uh, was already out. It was just not called nanotechnology and it was not a, it had not a fancy name like it is today. Right. Well, let's start with electrolysis. What even is electrolysis and how does it work? So uh, water electrolysis is basically the reaction of splitting water molecules into hydrogen and oxygen by using electricity. It's an endothermic process, so this means that uh, it can absorb 
uh, it needs to absorb energy to be carried out. And then this energy is stored within hydrogen molecules uh, in the form of chemical bonds. Of course, you can have the reverse reaction, and then you can have hydrogen and oxygen, the two gases forming water molecules. And this instead is an exothermic reaction. So it releases energy in the surroundings. And so this is basically why we are talking about hydrogen, because you can use this cycle of uh, endothermal and exothermal uh, electrolysis and water forming to store and convert energy through hydrogen, through the hydrogen molecule. Do you want to just take me through the basics of how an electrolyzer works and like how do you run electricity through water and create two brand new gases one of which we require to breathe and one of which we can use as a fuel in things like fuel cell vehicles and like industrial heating. That just seems so, so abstract to me. Uh, actually, electrolysis is, um, and electrolyzers are quite an old technology. And so electrolysis is made with electrolyzers. Electrolyzers uh, have many forms, but basically they have one component that is at the heart of them which is a stack. Stack is uh, a set of multiple electrochemical cells all connected in series. Each electrochemical cell has a cathodic and anodic halves. So this means that there is a negatively and positively polarized electrodes, two electrodes at which you apply a, a potential difference, an electric potential. In between, you have an electrolyte. So uh, a substance can be liquid, solid, uh, a polymer or an oxide, uh, depends on, on the type of the technology. But basically, this is uh, the way you connect the two poles and the way you can uh, have electricity pass through water, in the case of a liquid electrolyte, and separate it. So as Lorenzo says, electrolyzers aren't new, and they really aren't complicated either. If you do a quick search on YouTube, you can probably figure out how to build one at home pretty easily. Water is the joining of positively charged hydrogen ions, which means they are missing an electron, with negatively charged oxygen ions, which means they have extra electrons. Water can be separated into hydrogen and oxygen gas by adding electrons to the hydrogen and taking electrons from the oxygen, creating two independent gases. So to do that, you have two metals submerged in water. They're separated in the middle. The two metals are then connected to a power source, and because electricity is the flow of electrons, the electrons move down one electrode, and some of these electrons bond to oxygen atoms, releasing them. The current then moves through the water, and the other electrode accepts electrons from the water, closing the loop. Some of these electrons are taken from hydrogen atoms, which also releases them. And that is literally it you have hydrogen and oxygen gases from just two pieces of metal, some water, and a power source. On the surface of the two electrodes, you have catalytic reactions that split water molecules in hydrogen and oxygen. Of course, since you're producing two different gases and you don't want them to mix and combine again, generally this technology needs a certain material in between to separate them. And this is a very important uh, point of the technology, something that is uh, critical to, to make this technology working. Okay, so you said it was a pretty old technology, which means it's, it must be pretty 
advanced at this point? It's getting more and more efficient and more viable for consumers. Is that how Anapter is starting to make it more commercially available for the public instead of one of those technologies that's only used on things like the space station or other applications like that? So the technology is old in the sense that the, the electrochemical uh, water splitting through uh, electrocatalysis is an is a old technology. In the case uh, of what we do and what generally a lot of companies are doing, we're improving, of course, our technology significantly to, to, to be able to drive down the cost and uh, increase the efficiency. Basically, the, the main technology remains the same. Uh, what is improving, and here is probably where nanotechnology also steps in, is the materials. Today, we have uh, advanced, especially in the development of new catalytic materials, in new separators. And you can see that in, uh, for example, uh, in some way, uh, closed technology, which, is, which are batteries, they advance very fast. So this is one of the, of the reasons for which now uh, water electricity is so viable and so advantageous. So where do you think this is going? It's becoming more and more efficient and more affordable and ultimately more viable for people to use in their everyday lives and in industry. So what do you think is the future of hydrogen? Is it going to be in fuel cell vehicles, fuel cell transportation like planes, trains, and boats? Or is it going to be more focused on long-term energy storage that has less potential for energy leakage than perhaps batteries do? Or is it even going to be focused on maybe even industry and heating and cooling, things like that, that require the resource of natural gas? Do you think it's going to replace natural gas as one of those fuels? Or where do you think hydrogen is going to come in for the next decades? This is a very interesting question, and I think one thing to, to start from is that hydrogen is not an energy source, uh, it's an energy carrier. This means that the, the technology is moving towards um, using hydrogen as a vector for connecting all this application and, and situation in which you need to uh, use it for either convert and store energy or produce uh, electric energy for or thermal energy for industry or, or other stuff. There is an Italian uh, entrepreneur that is Marco Alvera, that is actually the, the CEO of SNAM, which is a very big gas company that calls it uh, the Internet of Energy. And the reason is that the future in terms of energy uh, doesn't seem to be like one uh, size fits all solution. It's rather a well-balanced mix of batteries, solar, wind, renewables, and, and also hydrogen. And you need to connect all these forms of energy that are especially renewables. They are extremely and every day more convenient, but they're not uh, continuous. So you need to find a way to store the energy you get from renewables. As you were mentioning, uh, batteries cannot compete with hydrogen in terms of long-term storage of energy and uh, energy leakage. Also, another thing that I think is extremely relevant is where you were mentioning that transportation is, uh, is one uh, field of application. You cannot uh, run a plane with a battery or a huge boat or heavy-duty trucks. These are a situation in which hydrogen and fuel cell uh, are going to be the solution 
for for this. If I might add something else as well, I think that uh, one important aspect of hydrogen is that, and especially water electrolysis, is that it is a technology that can be adapted to a different type of energy requirements. So you have systems that, for example, are liquid alkaline electrolyzers. This is the oldest technology, and they have huge plants of multi-megawatts uh, for, for big factories. And they, they are advantages in that case. But for example, uh, the, and after the company where I work, we produce small modular electrolyzers. And they're perfectly fit for one small house, one residential solution. This is interesting. This means that this is a technology that can fit a lot of situations. So they can perfectly integrate in the grid. I can see why he says it's the internet of the energy transfer, because it seems like it can apply to quite a few sectors in a bunch of different ways. If it's going to be encompassing all of those different sectors, how soon is that going to happen? How soon is hydrogen going to be a big player in energy storage and energy transportation? How soon do you think that's coming? Like, what's the timeline for that? So some cars, hydrogen cars already exist. Toyota Mirai is the most famous example. Hyundai also, I guess, is, is a solution for that. There are truck companies that are starting to develop heavy-duty machines for, for, that use hydrogen and fuel cells. The thing I can say is that we'll see the, the gigafactories for, for batteries are going are gonna to be present in, in the European, for example, reality in the next three, four years, I guess. In the next three, four years, we will see those. Uh, those realities that can attempt to achieve the mass production. This is a critical point for lowering the cost of hydrogen for everyday people. And so you don't just going to be talking about multi-megawatt plants, but distributed production of, of hydrogen. That's actually a lot sooner than I thought. That's really encouraging to hear that these companies are getting started on this now and it's coming soon. Yeah, that's actually a lot sooner than I thought it was. I mean, uh, this is when I, th I think uh, we're going to see this big project to start take place. Then for that to reach the point in which that is going to be a reality in every our life, that is going to take more. People are saying that 2030 will be the, the point at which hydrogen must be. And also this is the other thing. Uh, that is the time when hydrogen must be <laughs> a, a reality. It's not really about when <laughs> we feel like uh, to use hydrogen. I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, a necessity very soon. So let's move on to nanotechnology now. I know that's been your field of research for quite a few years, and I actually don't really know what it is. So if you could just give me a little bit of an intro to nanotechnology and let me know what it's all about. Nanoscience is a highly multidisciplinary field, and it encompasses physics, chemistry, material science, engineering, some biology. And it's a field that deals with uh, almost everything that happens at a certain physical dimension, which is the nanoscale. I wanted to jump in quickly right here because nanotechnology can be a little abstract. So I want to give you an idea of how small that really is. We're going to use Earth as a representation of a meter. The size of the Earth is one meter. A nanometer relative to the Earth would be about the size of a marble. Nanotechnology is everything from 1 to 100 nanometers. So yeah, 
it's tiny. The thing that makes this scale so interesting is not just that it's small, but at this scale, what happens is that large set of molecules and atoms start to interact with each other, and this gives uh, rise to new properties. So these properties are the ones that we generally know about uh, the corresponding macroscale materials, for example, electrical conduction in metals or some colors of organic substances. This is not, it is not possible to predict these properties if you just see the individual molecule that composes the material. So at the nanoscale, at this scale, what happens is that these behaviors and these features start to emerge. Nanotechnology is large, very wide set of technologies that took these properties, these new features of materials, and transformed them in applications. And, and one of them is catalysis, for example. So how do you work with such a tiny scale of things? Is it more of a chemical research and development process? You're working with atoms and chemistry or like there's no way you can take some little tweezers and work on nanotechnology that small. Is there is that what you guys are doing or is there something else to that? Actually, there are some, let's call them tweezers of that size, but it's it's really multidisciplinary. So you have a lot of chemistry, a lot of physics, and uh, the, the thing that is more close is material science and material engineering. You have to join and, and mix uh, a lot of what comes from uh, chemistry and, and synthesis of materials and also use a lot of physical techniques to observe your materials, your objects, and it's really, really interesting. It encompasses different fields. It's really, it's really a nice field <laughs> to, to work into. I didn't realize it was that small. That's pretty incredible that we can even work on something on that kind of scale. So how does this, how does nanotechnology apply to hydrogen? You mentioned that it's to do with the catalytic processes of the splitting of water. But how does that work? Does it make the electrodes more conductive so that they can give and receive electrons easier and split more water? Or is it the um, electrolyte that allows more water to be split and create more hydrogen and oxygen? Or how does that apply to the actual electrolyzer process? In general, a catalyst is uh, a substance or a material that lowers the energy required for a reaction to happen. So you can actually uh, have easily split water in hydrogen and oxygen by just running a lot of a high current in it. Of course, that is not efficient at all from an energetic point of view. So you need this catalyst to make this process easier and require less energy. There are certain substances, certain materials that have, for example, more affinity for this particular reaction so that they, they really interact with the molecules very well. Another thing, and here is where more nanotechnology helps, is that this reaction uh, happen at the surface of this material. So if you control their surface and their, then you increase their properties, you increase the, the efficiency at which they split water or they transmit electrons. So it's not just a matter of improving uh, some properties that an electrode has. It's really giving a different course to the chemical reaction that happens on its surface. So given that and the, um, the newer innovations in the electrolysis space that have been implemented, like nanotechnology, do you have any idea of 
Like what's the efficiency of converting water into hydrogen for energy storage and then hydrogen back into electricity? Is there a a lot of energy loss through those processes or is it relatively conservative in the energy use? So it's pretty conservative in the energy use. That's of course depends on the technology you're using. So there are a lot of water electrolysis technologies and there are a lot of uh, fuel cell technologies that uses different materials. Generally speaking, it's, it's overall very efficient. And the fact that it is an old technology and now it's been adopted more and more and it's, it's considered viable for as an energy conversion process is not because there has been a huge improvement or a breakthrough in the efficiency of the process, but because the energy source that is necessary for this process to happen, that is electricity, has dropped in cost. So renewable electricity is now accessible at a cost that makes these processes competitive with uh, fossil fuels. This is the main reason for which it is improved. So the efficiency, of course, is competitive. Otherwise, it won't be even be considered for that. Okay. So the price of electricity is dropping, and that's what's making this more viable. Do you think these systems like Enaptor's electrolyzer and some of these fuel cells are going to be used very widely in like individual homes? Do you think it's going to be viable for, say, every family to have an electrolysis rig and a fuel cell for their renewable energy storage? Are we going to have those kind of microgrids on businesses and campuses that allow for very decentralized electricity sources and local storage of hydrogen? Or is do you think it's more going to be on that commercial scale of concentrated renewables like big wind farms and hydropower and concentrated solar farms and then that utility scale energy storage? Where do you think that hydrogen is going to take that in the future? I really think and I really hope that is going to be the the first one. So I think that uh, hydrogen in general, but especially distributed production of hydrogen is uh, going to be the future of this energy vector. The the cost for companies to produce uh, this technology are decreasing very quickly. Uh, One of the reasons is the technological improvement. You can think about the personal computers. That been forecasted differently, but the technology behind computing advanced so quickly when mass and scaled up production took place that now uh, you don't have mainframe computers. You have uh, very small computers in everyone's pockets. And this uh, is predicted to be the same course that technology for hydrogen and water electrolysis in particular is going to take. At the same time, I was, uh, I was saying there is the OPEX, so it means the operating expenses uh, for this technology, which means that what, you, what you're going to spend as an individual or as a consumer for paying your hydrogen. And this is basically depends on the cost of the energy with renewable uh, energies gaining so much uh, momentum now and their cost going down, plus some other effects, for example, carbon taxes. All these things are driving down the cost for the consumer. So I see that this is going to be the the main driving force that's going to point towards the distributed production of hydrogen and use of hydrogen and not a centralized kind of system 
there will be also a point in which consumers and individuals or small communities will be able to trade energy. So they will be able to produce their own energy and trade it for, uh, with the grid. Uh, so this is going to represent an economic advantage that I, I hope is going to take place. So I guess hydrogen will, will be the central piece for this kind of transition to a distributed energy system that will not rely only on centralized big, huge uh, wind farms of uh, nuclear reactors, for example, but it's going to become more, more distributed, more fluid as a, as a, as a system. So we know that the UNFCCC has proposed those sustainable development goals. And I believe number one is the global eradication of poverty. Do you think that renewables and hydrogen, because they're getting so cheap, can start to be implemented in small villages and communities in those less developed countries and help them to move forward? Electricity and energy is one of the biggest contributing factors to development. And we saw it in the industrial revolutions when we used coal power, and that had evolved into the big fossil fuel crisis that we have now. But what if we can use renewables, which are cheaper, easier to use, less centralized, and ultimately more viable for those small communities to develop those less developed countries? and help with that sustainable development goal of eradicating poverty. I guess that is one of the ultimate goals of the energetic transition in general, not just hydrogen. And this is why I was stressing so much about the fact that I think hydrogen is really the internet of energy in the sense that we need to start thinking about this change in the paradigm of having one huge reservoir of energy, whatever it is, and few people controlling the tap, but distributing the production to everyone, that is not as easy to do as it to say. I'm thinking, for example, that there are parts of the, of the world in which uh, renewables are very highly present, so you have a lot of sun. And then you will think, okay, that's perfect place to have hydrogen. Technology is not as distributed there and also water, but surely the fact that this technology allows to produce and consume energy in the same place, so uh, you can really produce your own hydrogen and store in a tank and then convert some of them in electricity, put it in a battery, then use your car, electric car to move somewhere. And I, I think, yes, I think, <laughs> I think we can go in that direction for sure. The first thing I think is water. Water is already scarce, very scarce in many places. And at the current level technology, the water electrolysis technology needs some purity of water. So seawater, for example, cannot be used straight away. But this is the right path, in my opinion. It is the right path, but there's a couple more issues to get out of the way on the way there. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up. I have a couple quick questions for you that you can answer kind of just as fast as you can. First question, electric vehicles or fuel cell vehicles? Fuel cell vehicles. I thought that might be the answer. <laughs> yeah. Nuclear energy, yes or no? No, not the safety thing. The problem is that centralized versus distributed. Next question is policy, technology, or economics? That's a tough question. I'd say, uh, I'd say technology at this point. 
still, I think it's still the time for technology to demonstrate the value of this transition and then the rest will kick in afterwards. Technology is the first step and everything else will follow. Yeah. I want you to rate on a scale of one to 10, the impact that individual actions like just household awareness, like turning off your water, being aware of where your energy is coming from, and also consumer awareness, buying products that might be made in a more sustainable way, one being the least impactful and 10 being the most impactful. Five, I think that if you think about recycling, for example, there's a, a huge contribution for individuals and from actions from individuals, but I guess other forces are stronger to change. All right, last question, and you can take a little bit longer for this one. According to what you're seeing in everything you've been working on, from adapter to nanotechnology and everything in between, do you think that we can decommission all of those very centralized fossil fuel-based uh, energy resources and move towards the more distributed, renewable, energy storage-based energy sector by 2050 and achieve those carbon neutrality goals that have been proposed by people at the UNFCCC and the IPCC. Do you think that's possible? And what do you think we have to move faster on to get there? Okay, so I think it is possible. The speed at which I'm seeing the development of my company is very young and just entered this competition is so fast and the interest that it's raising is so big in such a short time that I think it's very possible that we reach the, those targets. And there are other technologies that will be growing soon, carbon capture, carbon conversion. And finally, I think we must do that. There's not a lot of alternative. I don't see other things possible at the moment. So I think that's the only path we can follow. So I'm confident that we will manage to reach that point in 2050, yeah. Good to be optimistic. I think that too. I do believe we can do it. It's just going to take a bit of work. Yeah. And it is really, um, really encouraging to see those companies like Anapter take the lead. These companies that are being so innovative and creative and open with their technology is really bringing those people on board more and more and getting more and more people interested, which is very important for this issue. I agree with you a lot. This is bringing more people aboard and also making this thing, make people feel they can touch this thing. They're real. They're not that complex to, to make and they're affordable. This is very important to speed up this whole process. Perfect. Thanks so much for coming on and talking to me about electrolysis and nanotechnology and sharing all your knowledge of your industry. I really appreciate your time. I want to thank you for, for this invitation and I really appreciate what you're doing. Please keep up because I guess your effort is as uh, effective and important as the technological one. So let's, let's, let's push it forward together. What a fantastic conversation with Lorenzo Rousseau nanotechnologist, materials science engineer, and electrolysis expert. I can't wait to watch the development of the hydrogen industry. It's relatively small right now, especially here in North America, but the versatility that comes with having a tangible fuel is pretty significant, 
so it'll be interesting to see how fast it integrates into the overall energy mix. I'll put a link to Anapter's website in the show notes along with all of our social media. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter for updates on the show and give us your feedback. I really enjoyed this episode. Hopefully you did too and I hope it inspired you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, do me a favor and tell one person about it. Encourage them to give it a try as well. I really appreciate any efforts to get the show out there. Thanks again, stay innovative, and I'll see you next week.